Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hello there. Today we're going to dive deep into revenue operations and what that means, sales, marketing, customer success, all the nitty gritty details. We're going to be doing that with Jason Reichel, who's the co-founder and CEO of Go Nimbly. Great conversation about him building out that business, the enterprise B2B SaaS companies that they work with, the three VC model, uh, unified business stack, and we're going to unpack all of that. It's a super fun conversation. I learned a lot in this talk. Hope you will as well. Find Jason online. I think his preferred platform is LinkedIn. And please thank him for coming on the podcast. Uh, it would really mean a lot. If you happen to be looking for a way to ignite your brand, spark some sales, or maybe just fire up your team, branded merchandise might be the way to do that. You can learn more about different items that are available to put your logo on at fuelmerchandise.com. It can be simple startup swag, corporate gifts, anything you're looking for. You can find it at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Jason Reichel, who's the co-founder and CEO of Go Nimbly. Jason, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. Why don't we start with a quick overview of Go Nimbly and what you and the team do? Sure. So Go Nimbly is a revenue operations consultancy and uh, software company. So what we do is we help businesses operate their revenue side of their business. So when we talk about revenue, we're talking about the sales, marketing, customer success team. And we're talking about the processes, tools, enablement, and, and insights and analytics that make those teams run. So in the past, you might have called these people sales operators or marketing operators or customer success operators. We call them revenue operators. And we train and transform organizations to become that, or we augment their staff through consulting. Let's make that a little bit more tangible. Who's a typical customer who you're gonna who's gonna reach out to you or you're gonna reach out to? Yeah, so we have two types of customers. Uh, they're all um, pretty advanced enterprise B2B SaaS companies or, or platform as a service companies like Twilio, PagerDuty, Zendesk um, are some of our customers. And for them, like in Twilio's case, we help them all the way through they IPO'd and helped get all their operations in order so that they could show everything they needed to show. Um, so we were augmenting their staff. Of course, they had their own sales operators, but we were part of that team. And we do it on an ongoing basis. So we're really long-term partners. Think of like the ad agency model, but instead we are operators who work with you on a monthly basis. And then we have organizations like CyberArk, which is a cybersecurity company. Um, and we are helping transform them by coaching their their CRO, their head of revenue operations on how to be a revenue operations team, how to hire the right staff, how to develop their skill sets, the things that we've learned as consultants. So those are the two primary ways that we help organizations today. Perfect. Super helpful. And then for folks listening, just real quick, kind of current status of the business, how big are you, you that any vanity metrics you want to share that can be revenue, funds raised, size of team, number of customers, what, whatever makes sense. So we um, started this journey about four and a half years ago with something called the unified business stack idea, which became revenue operations for the people who are in the know. That's kind of a buzzing thing that's happening in the industry. 
And so we were very early on in it. Um, and I've worked with my team to develop a lot of business practices in that area. That's the current state of where we are. We are developing software to be able to help all companies across the world with operations. But right now we're primarily working with large enterprise SaaS companies. We're doing a little, a uh, little over $10 million a year in reoccurring revenue. Uh, we have built it all ourselves with taking no funding and we're probably going to go get our first funding round in, in January of this next year coming up. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. How, how big is the team? It's about 60 people right now. Got it. Perfect. I have, I have a great vision for what that looks like. So why this business? How'd you get started in revenue operations or the unified business stack? I, and I'd love to unpack that term a little bit more when you were originally conceiving it. Sure. Yeah. So my background is in sort of creative endeavors. I'm a I'm an artist, a musician, a comedian. And that always kind of led me to sort of the the kind of thing. So I started my career early on working in technology companies. I worked at Rackspace. I w- worked on something called the first redundant server cluster, who my customer happened to be salesforce.com. It later turned into what is coined as the cloud. But at the time, it was what if one server breaks um, and goes down? Well, then we have to have another server up immediately. Um, and so that become redundant server cluster, which was a shitty name, became the cloud. You know, that was a very <laughs> cool project. Um, and so I kind of always worked in technology on the creative side of things. Uh, and then I ended up working for a Salesforce SI, which is a called a solution integrator for a number of years and ran a very large service team, which brought me to San Francisco and to open their West Coast office. That company eventually sold to IBM. And when they sold to IBM or right before they sold to IBM, I started uh, thinking about starting my own business because Salesforce had acquired a company, this is very technical, called Heroku. Um, and Heroku allowed you to build applications on the Salesforce platform that didn't look like Salesforce, essentially. Um, and because of that acquisition, I thought, oh, we can have our own little PDO, kind of a little bit like Kevin Rose had milk for a while here in San Francisco, um, and build applications for companies like Zendesk and people who are still customers today. Uh, and we built little apps for them. Lo and behold, we built a couple apps for organizations that got funding. Uh, and one of the requirements of funding was that I go and be the head of product at one of these companies. So I was a head of product at uh, two companies. One of the largest ones being a company called Trade Shift, which is a unicorn company here in Silicon Valley. I mean, they're worth over a billion dollars. And so I cut my teeth for a few years in basically product management and design, all those kind of things. And while I was in product, uh, I really loved it. But you know, in San Francisco, it's kind of like being in LA and being an actor. If you you know, if you throw your change, you'll hit someone who wants to build software or manage software. And what I realized when I was working at TradeShift, not because the company was bad, but just because of everything I was seeing in the industry, that a lot of these organizations knew how to build a great product, but they didn't know how to operate their business like a business. And so my ex background in being a consultant kind of came hand in hand. I was like, what if we built a consultancy that teaches SaaS companies how to run their their teams like a real business? Because I had this theory that investors were going to start to spread out their bets a little bit, which is kind of happening. Um, And so we came into the marketplace as we want to unify your operations. It can be a BPO model similar to like a Xerox in the 80s or something like that. And so we became a managed service company. And during that process of doing that, we really just found this revenue operations thing was really taking off. And we saw it firsthand by unifying these organizations, what used to be sales ops, marketing ops, customer success ops, all these operational teams into one team who knew the business holistically, we were seeing huge revenue gains 
of about 26% per prospect. Because what we actually found in this journey is that it's all about the customer and the customer every time when they're buying a B2B software, they still might buy your product because maybe you're Zendesk and you're the best ticketing platform that exists. And so if you're an enterprise company who wants to be taken seriously, you're probably going to use Zendesk. But what happens in the buying experience is that buyer gets hit over the head with all of your SDR to BDR or, you know, or AE handoffs or your marketing team sending them annoying emails that have nothing to do. They're in a cycle or they're not in a cycle. It's just like, your prospect feels like you don't know who they are. And so what they actually do is they still buy your product, but they buy less of the product or they don't put their political capital into it or they just hold back you know, a year commit or these things that they hold back that for a SaaS company would really allow you to grow quickly because we all know it's about annual contract value and LTV of your customer, right? Uh, and it's easier to get a customer uh, and then maximize that customer than it is to go get a brand new customer. And so through these revenue operations practice, we've kind of cracked a few nuts that allow us to look at your buying journey for your customer and say, hey, here's where you're not performing. And if we could pick up a couple conversion points here, we could increase the revenue of the business by X. And that, what we call a revenue impact statement, has been the reason why since we've started this thing uh, four years ago, GoNimbly has doubled every year in revenue and why we, at this point, we're ready to start building software that actually makes these analytics available to all businesses. Yeah. So may- Maybe this is what the unified business stack originally kind of was conceived to be. But what, what's interesting about that to me is it it sounds like you're maybe less focused on the product or the type of business. Or I, I mean, you you have narrowed the space to enterprise B two B. But you know, outside of that, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't sound like it matters if it's Zendesk or accounting software. No, necessarily. I mean, Coca Cola. Coca Cola is investing in revenue operations. Dell Computers is investing in revenue operations. It's a thing that's for all businesses. The reason we targeted SaaS companies was because if you think about a standard SaaS company who's going to go from you know ten million dollars or fifteen million dollars in revenue when we usually start working with them to you know hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollars uh, of revenue, they're going to be ten companies during that time. And when we realized that we were onto something that was going to kind of fun- fundamentally change the business world, and that's what we believe, we decided to work with organizations where we could get one customer but have to go through multiple iterations of this with the customer. So, you know, where Zendesk was two years ago is very different than where they are today. And you really can't get that in any other, in any other industry but SaaS at this point in time. So how does that conversation start when a new customer shows up? And, and not sales, but... But you you've, pretend you've already sold them. You're just getting started in terms of understanding their business, figuring out where you can start to consolidate sales, marketing, customer success. What are when you and the team show up? What are you looking at, and how are you how are you framing those conversations with the client? Yeah, absolutely. So we like uh, I'm very big about intentionality and thinking about intentionality and operations. I think there are three levels of operations teams out there. There is what we call intuition-based operators. And these are organizations where a lot of the requests are coming from the field. And most of us have worked in companies like this. A sales rep can't work on a sales layout. They complain to the operations person. They change the layouts inside of salesforce.com or HubSpot or whatever CRM you're using. Uh, You like it better as a sales rep. Good to go. Intuition-based. I had a problem. Someone fixed it for me. Feels pretty good in uh, in those organizations sometimes. But then also you have, you know, infighting and alignment issues. Uh, I don't trust marketing. I don't trust sales and what they're giving me. And so in those organizations, it's really just based on the intuition of the people and whoever has the loudest voice in the room sort of gets what they want. 
uh, whoever has the most political capital. That's the very first layer of an operations of an or internal of an organization. The second layer is experiential operators. And this is when organizations bring people in from the outside who have this experience and say, hey, you have this experience. And I'll give an example of a real company. LinkedIn is a Microsoft company. LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft primarily because it's a great product, but also they were really well operated. That organization really knows what they're doing from an operations standpoint. And so a lot of those operators from that company left operation jobs at LinkedIn and became head of, you know, business operations at a lot of SaaS companies here in Silicon Valley. And then when they're brought into a company, um, they go, okay, we'll do what you did for LinkedIn for us. And well, that kind of works, except maybe your problems are not LinkedIn's problems. Probably not because a lot of these organizations weren't going to network-based organizations at the scale of LinkedIn. Um, And so that's where you run into a lot of problems with experience-based operations teams. And then the final uh, form, the most highly evolved form of operations is customer-based operations. So you are looking directly at what your customers are experiencing and you are fixing those gaps. And through that process, you can lean on your experience and intuition, but it's not what's driving it, right? And so often if you have intuition, maybe your customer is also feeling it. Maybe if you have experience, you can also uh, see what the customer is doing. But if you reverse that pyramid and start with the customer, then what you're given is a very clear roadmap on how to improve the experience of buying from your business. And so how we actually do that is we three things, three primary things in revenue operations I would tell every business they need to figure out. Uh, two of them you can do yourself. One of them is a proprietary go nimbly thing. And we, I'll explain it to you, but it's, it's kind of hard to do. But most organizations can get to the data so you can, you can guesstimate on it. The first thing we say is, is you have to be proactive and reactive about the gaps in your customer buying experience. And so to be reactive, the best thing that we've found is this model that we call 3VC. And what we do is we pull your data from Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using. Most of the customers we're using because our enterprise are using Salesforce. And you build a, a view, uh, a 12-month view, 24-month view of your pipeline by product, by buying experience, if you will. This product is bought by an AE selling, you know, cold outreaching, and then someone buys it. This one is a velocity-based product for those of you that, that know about sign up and things like that through the SaaS workflow. And you look at those and you find the gaps in these four core metrics, the volume of opportunities that are moving through that pipeline, the value of those opportunities, the velocity of those opportunities, and the conversion of those opportunities. Those are the only four metrics that you need to know in order to tell a business where they're healthy and unhealthy against themselves. Real quick, volume, value, velocity, conversion. What, what's velocity? Velocity is this, the time that each opportunity stays in each stage. Perfect. Thank you. And so we build up a, we have our own software to do this, and this is what we're building out for the public, but you hook up your data to it and it tells you, Hey, you're red in June of 2020 in conversion from compared to yourself in past months. And if over time you can see this kind of trend build, you know, now where to put, put your focus because you can see that's where customers are filling the gap in our process. As an example, every, we have a low conversion rate from stage three, which is negotiating to stage four, which is red lines. Well, that might be an operational sign that your paperwork is too complex or too too unfair and you're losing deals in the legal process of working with your customer after the negotiation process, right? And so these are operational things where we're leading, we're leading re, uh, uh, reactively to what the customer has already experienced. That's a little hard to do if you don't have to use our methodology, but people can get this data out of Salesforce, put it in a spreadsheet, you'll see it. 
The second thing that GoNimbly does in that same vein is then we also compare you to our customers in, in the industry. So it's a game of golf where you're playing against yourself, but then you also know how well you're doing against all of our existing customers and the broader SaaS community. And so that allows organizations who feel like they're doing really well to also zoom out and have a picture that's not themselves. And I think that's one of the key things that will tell an operator is don't get lost in your own business. That happens a lot to operators. It's not about pleasing. Your, your stakeholders are not the sales team or marketing team. It's the customer. And really, the customer is out there looking at other products in your industry. And so you need to zoom out sometimes and realize it's not about just operating your business. It's about thinking about their experience with your business. So that's the first way. The second way is something we call durability testing, which is a lot of like secret shopping, industry benchmarks, things like that, where we can be um, proactive about the buying experience and, and understand, oh, in this industry of buying ticketing software, it's common that stage one takes, you know, 10 days to get through. What happens if we shorten that? What would happen operationally to our customers? Will we see a pickup there? And so that's what we call durability testing. We're always testing and, and exploring uh, against the business. And then the last thing is once we have all those gaps identified, we put them onto a roadmap like a product team would. And most operations teams don't have this. And we say, we're going to do this operational project in June because we have a weak conversion from stage two to stage three. And we're going to track that for six months afterwards and see if we if that operational project has had an impact or a correlation to improving that number for us. And by doing that, GoNimbly has been able to change the entire conversation from you know, operators who are managing the business to being someone who drives revenue for the organization. We didn't increase our sales team. We didn't increase our marketing team, yet we increased revenue. And really, I think that's the future for operators. It's very similar to how developers really got taken very much more seriously when we moved from waterfall to agile and or when you know manufacturing changed from you know the, you know the ford line to lean manufacturing i think we're moving through into a new area era where operations is going from this legacy operations support model to really being a revenue driver and a strategic value to an organization outside of the the framework that's that's yielding that data that you can then take back to a client and say, okay, here, you know, here's where, if it's a bottleneck or, 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 you know, potential problems are found, what, what's your role in, in then solving that? Are, are you giving them tools and methodologies that they can put in place? Are you coaching their team? Are you putting team members on the ground? To- we're doing both. Okay. We're, doing, we're doing both. It depends on, it depends on the organization's appetite. We have always decided that, um, we didn't want to be a you know, a management consultancy that didn't know how to roll up our sleeves and do the work. Uh, I really believe in doing the hard stuff first. And so we built our consultant teams, thinking of them as research and development teams who are going into our customers, doing the work and understanding the impact this, this framework and these, this mindset has to a business. And so that's always been a core part of our business, but we also just coach organizations, specifically organizations who have already bought into revenue operations, already has a CRO, CRO already has a, head of RevOps, and they're just looking to build out their team and really make them more... Because another big aspect of this is you need an operations team when you think about unifying everyone who's more general. They're more generalist. They have more range than your typical operations team where you have your Salesforce admin over here or you have your marketing campaign person over here. You need someone who can... You need a team who can go be elastic, right? Because they're actually covering the most important stuff that's impacting your customer. When it's impacting your customer, it's not about their job title. So if your customers are operationally fine and you don't need to make a lot of improvements to your Salesforce org, 
your Salesforce admin in this world is not doing Salesforce admin work. They might be doing something completely different. They might be doing process or enablement or insight work in order to drive that customer experience and make it better. So it really requires an organization to have this core concept of creating generalists versus creating specialists. Nice. Walk me through, uh, this could, well, you probably can't use a real customer, but this can be a fake real customer, but walk me through like how you evolve an account over time. Cause I'm, I'm imagining you step into my company, you look at what we're doing today, everything's disjointed. There's all, you know, I'm, I'm assuming there's just a ton of low hanging fruit. Right. But, but you then see, and maybe I can't see it as the, as the operator for the business, you see this kind of promised land that you're trying to lead me to long-term. Yep. Yep. How, how do you engage the client over the long run to help move them and walk them in that direction? Yeah. So I think that a lot of consultancies and not that we don't do this part of operating your business. And we do sometimes do this work is doing these low hanging fruit. Uh, what we call just like keeping the lights on of your business. Like every business is going to create operational debt the same way that every software creates technical debt, right? Everything you do in your business is going to create operational debt and that needs to be managed and worked on. Most of our customers have their own teams to do that. And if they're pushing it off to us, that's just because maybe we're more effective at it than their own team. But what we try to focus on is what's going to have the most impact for the business. So it's like walking into a fire and then sometimes you have to calm the fire before you can go work on the thing that's going to be the most impactful. But in most organizations, when we show them the data and say, yes, what we find is when we do this 3VC analysis and we target the place you're in most pain, there's a domino effect where a lot of this other stuff where you're able to, Mr. Customer, come up with the solutions for how to solve this will actually be alleviated because you're not going deep enough in the core of the problem. You're just finding all these, you know, these places to put band-aids on and maybe that will stop the bleeding, but let us focus on this core area and all of your bleeding will, you know, reside a little, and then it will make a more clear picture. So that's the first thing we do when we come into organization is, is see if their intuition matches against the data. Uh, if it does, then great. Everyone's bought in. If it doesn't, then you have a little bit of more work to do where you have to try to convince them that this is important. And it usually just means doing two parallel tracks. Like, okay, let's solve what you're working on. And then we'll also work on this thing that we think is going to have the most revenue impact to your business. And most people won't say no to that um, because they're like, oh yeah, okay, we can see the data. We hear you and you're hearing us. And so that's kind of how we go into it. But the way that we actually, so that was the first part of your question about how we kind of enter in and have that have that dialogue. The second part of your question, which is a, a little bit more nuanced is, and easier for us, is every SaaS company is on a, on a trajectory. They are trying to reach some kind of new set of numbers, new set of growth numbers, new set of um, ability to, to scale because they need to get more funding or they need to get to where they need to go. That makes it very clear uh, where we're guiding them. And once they hit that threshold, they're a new business. So uh, you know, maybe if you if we were doing this for you know uh, Joe's art supply store down the street, all the methods would still work. But at some point, Joe's art supply down the street is probably going to maximize their revenue, right? They're not. They're only going to be able to make so much money from a brick and mortar store on Valencia in San Francisco. So there's probably a maximum where that could go. But with SaaS companies, they're always trying to get to the next big place either. And that can go all the way to IPO or sell. And so there's always a clear place they're trying to go and that we're trying to grow the business. And every time they make a, a change to that inflection point, we see the business kind of go through a trauma 
right? We don't think about this. We always just get excited in the world of tech of like, oh, I got my series C and now I'm trying to expand globally. But the business does take trauma on when you're moving so quickly and when your processes are not keeping up in your technology and your, your field and all of these things are not keeping up with where you're trying to go. And so that is sort of a forcing function where now we're in a new world and we're using 3VC and we'll see a dramatic change in your conversion numbers and your volume and velocity as you go up market or as you go international or as you try to go for IPO, we will see a change in your business. Um, and so that's how we keep them lo uh, locked into us. For most of our customers, we're there for three plus years. So we don't have a normal tenure as a consultancy. We're completely subscription-based. So all of our revenue is re reoccurring. It's more very much closer to being like, Go Nimbly is my ad firm. We're like, Go Nimbly is my operations firm. And they help me uh, with the strategy and, and doing the work where I need it, where I need the help for them to do that. And so that's how we've kind of set ourselves up and, and how we stay sticky over the long run. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. When you think of competitors for Go Nimbly, who or what comes to mind? Um, I think who thinks they're competitors to us are traditional technology or, or um, organizations. Um, and I don't want to name a bunch of competitors because that seems a little, a little yeah, shitty. Yeah. But 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 they think of us as oh, Go Nimbly is talking about revenue operations, but what they really do is administer Salesforce. We do a lot of Salesforce work because a lot of organizations that we work with use Salesforce, but we're not a Salesforce shop, nor do we train our staff and spend a bunch of time training them on the latest and greatest features of Salesforce.com or Marketo or Eloqua or, or, or Outreach or any of the tools. It's more of a mindset about being an operator that makes us different. So we're typically don't lose to other firms. What we do lose to sometimes is a team where they want to build it themselves. And so in the last years, when we came up with, with this coaching model where they didn't need to consume our services from a doing perspective in order to capture customers we were losing because what they really wanted is the thought leadership. And so we're moving much more uh, rapidly uh, into like doing thought leadership work, coaching individuals, that kind of work in order to meet that part of the market where we were losing before. Is it that move to thought leadership that has made it easier for you to conceive of a set of products or software that you could then put in place to move to kind of more traditional SaaS revenue? Yeah. So for, uh, for us, the entire company, my background is both in consulting and in uh, SaaS product, right? Um, so one I wanted to revolutionize, and I think my team did too, the other co-founders I have, want to revolutionize uh, the problems with consultancy. The problems with consultancy are really, there's three of them. One is it's project by project. So your revenue never gets the multiplier. That's a personal you know, owner issue. Um, so if you're ever going to sell your company, it's only as good as your revenue. So we needed to fix that. The answer to that is a managed subscription service. Two, you needed to uh, have a product, uh, a more of a product mindset, because what happens in consultancy is people love certain ass people. And when they leave the organization or move to a new team, then you risk your accounts. So GoNimbly has a pod-like structure. Uh, our customers work with a 
set of operators and we are able and purposefully move people enough that we're sure that it's the ideas of go nimbly that are keeping them stuck to go nimbly and not the work of just one single individual on that team. So that is something we do. We don't do one-to-one matching with our consultants at all. That's not allowed in our organization. So we fix that aspect of, uh, of consultancy. And the last aspect of consultancy is that a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley are smart and they can do a lot of this work, but what you really have to do is you have to be innovative in order to win them. And so we brought, you know, these methodologies and frameworks into place so that we could show them that we are innovating on operations. We're not just doing it for them. We are not, you know, a body shop. We are innovators in this space. And so those are the three things that we primarily solved. But I did all of that and made those decisions as CEO because I knew that where I was really trying to get is enough research and development on industry benchmarks internally with these organizations in order to build software. So GoNimbly not only manages the largest single amount of revenue, we manage over $3 billion a year of SaaS revenue as operators. But we also have all of the work those companies have ever done, why they did it, what point they were in their business. And so we're starting to build, even though we don't have that many customers, we're starting to build a very deep index of what worked when, right? And starting to understand the similarities between these organizations and also the very difference between being a you know, Twilio, a messaging platform and PagerDuty, which they seem similar because PagerDuty sends messages out to people when servers are broke, but they're really an IT function more than they are a software development messaging function, right? Right. And so very different, but there's similarities in those businesses and starting to see those correlations. I can't say we're at the point of causation yet. And so the real reason we're moving into software is uh, if we can make it available to all businesses in this industry and they connect their data to it, well, then we can start to build some some actual core, you know, causations versus correlations where we are today. Do you run your own three VC process inside of GoNimbly? Absolutely. Absolutely. How does that work? Uh, it works just like we do for our customers. So we have a revenue operations uh, guy right now. I mean, a 60-person company only needs one revenue operations. We I work with him very closely to make sure he's a generalist and can go across all the different disciplines. Um, and he runs 3VC and every week we meet about it and we talk about it and we do some hypothesis and we track our work against it. Um, and it brings clarity. We find that the field, mean like our head of sales, our CRO, our CRO or the VP of marketing have great ideas and they're usually right about problems, but they always take the extra step, which is to solve it. And a lot of times how they're solved wouldn't actually fix the core intuition that they have. Right. And so having that data really makes uh, Chris, who is our head of revenue operations, it really makes it easy for him to stand toe to toe with a CRO. And if you can imagine being a lonely little operator in the past and you have to talk to a CRO, they will tell you, well, go do what I say anyways, because your opinion doesn't matter more than mine. Well, we've kind of changed the game with it's not an opinion. Here's the data. Right. And so let's see if our two things match up and then you can like, it seems weird, but having that data mindset allows you to build allies because they go, Oh yeah, I did have this feeling. Oh, I do see where this is a bigger problem. Um, I think this is also probably a good time to just pause for a second and say in a business, I think there are two flywheels to every business and you kind of alluded to this previously. And so I just wanted to, to make this clear in this book that we're writing called transform, which is how to take up any kind of business and make it a revenue operations business. What I've found is there's two flywheels in every business. There is a product flywheel. And the product flywheel in SaaS is pretty easy. That's your product people, that's your developers, that's your facilities people. It's all of the people who make either the margin or growth, depending on what they're, where you are in your business, 
uh, it makes that part of it work, right? And a good product wheel can make an amazing product. And usually the head of that in my mind is someone like the COO or, or someone like that. And then the other flywheel is your revenue team. And I really believe this, that any great revenue team could sell any great product. If you match those two wheels and you have a great revenue team and a great product, you're going to probably do really well. But in a lot of organizations, they have a great product, but a bad revenue team or a great revenue team and a bad product. And in the middle of that, the, where those two things, those two flywheels overlap is where the CEO sits. And I really think it's the CEO's job to have an eye on the product and the revenue team and try to keep those wheels running as independently as possible. And, and you know, having as little overlap as possible within those. I don't believe in silos, but I do believe that the way that you think of flywheels or grouping your, you know, groups in your company together is by North Star. So when you do that, suddenly the revenue team can have the North Star of increasing revenue, right? And the product team can have the North Star of growth or margin. And now those two teams are very aligned and you don't have misalignment within those teams anymore. And so, you know, that is sort of how I think a, a modern business should run. Can I bounce something off you real quick? I'd be interested in your reaction to this. So I read golly, this would have been years ago. I, I think it was Roadside MBA, uh, which is uh, it's a pretty good book just on some you know basic fundamentals of business. It's a, it's a really engaging read. And I think, I'm pretty sure this is where I stole it. They had a basically a universal model for a business, which sounds very similar to your two flywheels, only they would have said there's three. They would have said there's the revenue flywheel, which they would have said is sales and marketing. Then they would have said there's kind of product creation, uh, which is, you know, if you're building widgets, it's, you know, the procuring supplies and, you know, manufacturing the thing and whatever in, in software, it's it's writing code. And then there's value delivery, which again, in a world of widgets, that's how you, you know, how do you develop channel partners? How do you ship it? How do you put it on shelves? How do you support it after the sale when a customer calls with a complaint or a warranty claim or something like that? And in software, we would typically call that customer success support, something like that. What's pretty interesting to me is that in a in an enterprise B2B world, you're basically saying there's no distinction between revenue creation and that kind of customer support thing, right? We're gonna we're gonna put all those in one flywheel because it's basically when your organization touches the customer, which in an ongoing subscription world is continued sales, right? Because supporting the product is how you continue to get SaaS licensing. Am, am I understanding that correctly? I mean, is that a, uh, 100%, is that a pretty reasonable way to think about that? A hundred percent. And I think the only danger, although I can understand in, um, let's say, a traditional cog style of, of sale, why that model might have been enticing. In the world where everything is a service, which we're moving to even for traditional cog things, like you can get sheets as a service. Like we're, we're no longer in a world where this is just a software thing. Right. And, you know, we used to call it the subscription economy, but I actually don't think of it as a subscription economy. That's not what's driving it. It's that buyers want to feel like the brands they work with know them at a personal level. And they want to know that that, that organization is there to support them as they grow as a business, as a person, whatever it is. And I think that B2C has learned this very early on. Think about all the personalization B2C does where B2B is just now catching up and, you know, revenue operations is a way to sort of propel you forward um, in that personalized buying journey. But yes, absolutely. I think it, it's a fallacy to think of that as 
the third flywheel because then you're going to create things like, and I have this argument a lot with technical founders because they go, I don't want my CS team to have a number because if they have a number, then they're not advocating for the customer. I'm like, no, if you make your entire revenue team based on the customer, then everyone's advocating for your customer because and it's not advocating for what Nike says they want to do because Nike's your biggest customer. It's looking at your operations and going, hey, we need to prioritize this because it's the most quickest way to scale for our customer need, right? I think that there's too much power in individuals and organizations. I think organizations are really about ship first. What's good for the ship will be great for what is your ICP of your wide, wide customer. And you get there through personalization, but that personalization is looked at as who is my buyer? Okay. And an operator's job is not to get excited about the things that are on the fringes, the big deals or the small deals. It's just to look at that middle of the road person and go, how can I maximize that? Because if I can maximize the 90 times that we hit the ball and I get, uh, you know, I can get a double out of it instead of a single, we will change fundamentally as a business versus how do I hit a grand slam? That's how all businesses want to work. And that is just not realistic. That's a very individualist uh, view of a business and businesses don't change that way. You're taking the money ball approach to how to operate revenue operations, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, to use that Spartans metaphor and, and it, it's a hundred percent like that. I've never thought of that with that. But yes, it is. Well, I, I only thought of it because you said other people are trying to hit home runs, right? And it, and it, that's the whole point of Moneyball. It's like, no, stop doing that. Just, just, you know, go out there and do this thing that you've done consistently your entire career. And because we built the team around that, it's going to, you know, it's going to create the outcome that we're looking for, which is a really great way to think about it. In, in SaaS businesses too, whenever you interview, and this is something I do during the onboarding with customers, I talk to people who have been at the company for a long time. The heydays of those companies were always in the early days of the company. And then they get funding and I mean, you know, I know you're an investor and they're told, well, you need to grow up. And so what does that look like for a business who doesn't really know how to grow up maturely? Well, what they'll do is they'll hire a bunch of specialists who segment their teams and tell them they need these KPIs that drive this and that. And they'll actually lose sight of what's great about their business in the first place. And you'll have each team trying to innovate themselves instead of operating to the core innovation of what the product or, or the business is actually about. And then you create all these silos within this or, these organizations and then everyone's protective and then you can't get any real work done. And then even though you might be growing by 40% and that looks good on paper, as a CEO of one of these companies, if you talk to any of these CEOs, even at the biggest companies, they'll say to me, Jason, why am I not growing faster? I feel this inertia pushing back against me about growing. I didn't used to feel that. And that's because you have all of these silos that are defending themselves. And so the core to that is to really create these North Star unsiloed teams where they're working holistically together and have people who have very big range, right? And not so specialized and not so focused on just their area, which goes against a lot of our partners' advice. We actually do a lot of service work with VC firms and their portfolio companies helping improve these companies. You know, and the first thing they'll say is don't hire an outside firm and then they'll hire us, right? I mean, they've given that advice to their <laughs> portfolio companies. Um, and, and, and that's a problem uh, in, in this kind of world that I operate in, which is the, the SaaS world right now. Yeah. How do you, so when, when that CEO says that, I, you know, I, I want to grow faster. I, I feel like the firm is pushing back on me. The company's pushing back on me. How do you coach them through figuring out how to create that alignment, break through those silos, reorganize it in whatever way makes sense? Like how does that conversation even start? Because 
you're also, I'm, I mean, if I'm the CEO, what I'm also hearing is potentially break apart the thing that made us successful and got us to where we are today, right? Um, I think that maybe some people are hearing that, but mostly they're nostalgic for the days when people wore multiple hats. And so they get really excited about the idea of their marketing team being part of the sales team or their sales team being part of the marketing team. And they know these things exist. Like you take new tools that are emerging like ABM platforms or drift, like conversational sales on your website. Who owns that marketing sales? The customer doesn't give a shit, uh, right? So it, 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 they see this stuff firsthand and they also see all these alignment issues. I think there's no core, there's no, there's no better thing for if you do a search for misalignment between uh, what in Google, you'll see sales and marketing, customer success and marketing or customer success and sales. You'll see all of this because the customer does not give a crap about how the sausage is made. They want to buy what they want to buy, how they want to buy it. And they want you to make it feel like it was built for them. And any organizations that's fighting against that is going to feel the pain and the, the pushback of, of not growing the way they think they can go grow, right? Because your customers are going to be at some point vocal about that. Maybe it's a year after and you do your first sat, you know, you're sat with them and, you know, they say something, maybe you have a good process where after the buying experience happens, you, you ask them what we could do better. And they say, well, I got, felt like I was jerked around, but what go nimbly does is put a monetary value to that, right. And say, Hey, if we could improve this by X, then we could gain this much revenue and go nimbly actually does tell people like, give us a number. Like if you want to grow by 10 million this year, give us 26% because we're confident with our methodologies. We could grow your revenue off the existing business by 26%. So, you know, we are part of the revenue team as operators because we're saying operations should hold a number too. It should just be about getting more of what the sales and marketing team are already closing. Like make that, make that deal bigger or a longer duration or something to that effect. So, you know, that's kind of the way that we, we tell them at first, which is you don't need to change anything. And honestly, revenue operations, and for most companies who don't have it, who don't want to tear apart their organization, this is what I tell uh, CEOs of big SaaS companies. Hire my team or build a revenue operations team with the goal of going cross-platform. Keep your sales operators. In my mind, you can. They're sales admins. They're helping the sales team operate. That's not what revenue operations does. The revenue operations customer is your customer. So... Let's create an overlay where there's this team that has to go between all of the teams and sort of think holistically. And you will see that that team has more impact than your sales admin team or all these other these silos you've created yourself. And within you know six to seven months, they're saying, well, how can I do this at a bigger scale? Um, and so you know that is kind of the road in is you don't have to abandon everything that's worked. You can experiment with this and you will see big results. You won't see the biggest results because in order to get the 26 or 36% revenue increase that we see when companies go all in, you kind of have to go all in. But if you're Twilio and you can get 3% more out of each of your prospects, that's still, you know, $100 million a year yeah. of growth. It's a so, real number. Yeah, it's a real number. Um, and that's why Coca-Cola and companies where, you know, if they could pick up one point operationally, that would be huge for them. Switch gears with me real quick. I know we're running out of time. What are you excited about and learning in your personal life right now? It, it can be work-related, not work-related. If I spied on you on a Saturday morning, what book podcasting would you be into right now that you're trying to get better at? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up as a punk rock musician, uh, owning record labels and playing music. 
Um, and so I, 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 wait, I, I can't pass on that. Uh, hit me with some bands, record labels, like give me a little bit of that background. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I was 16, I started my first record label in my, uh, room as a teenager, but I grew up, uh, playing music and, and, and playing with lots of different bands. Yeah. So like a lot of punk rock labels, I was into Fugazi and like sort of the underground scene at, at Brooklyn and other places like that and, and toured the country did all that for a long period of time. And then I kind of started doing comedy. So for me, it's always about that aspect of creating something and doing it with others. I think that's why I'm so into what I'm doing at Go Nimbly right now. I think it's about servicing the underdog. I think operators have been kicked for a long time when I know firsthand that businesses couldn't operate without these people. A sales rep doesn't know how to sell without someone building the systems and processes behind the scenes that allow that to occur. Or maybe they know how to sell, but they couldn't get to the people they wanted to get to in the first place. And I feel very privileged to be giving a voice to those people. Um, And I think that's directly back to my roots. So what I've been working on a lot privately is relearning, you know, technology like uh, how to shoot videos and how to make content so that I can help these people who are very desperate uh, when I talk to them operators to really take their seat at the table and, and really push this messaging. I'm all in on this. I think the thing I'm talking about right now is better than just a business idea. It can actually change how business works and make it more human. And that goes very core to my belief, which is, you know, humans are the ones, and I, and I talked about this earlier, which might be counterproductive to this conversation, which as I said, I think business are ships. Well, people need to be on ships for ships to work. Ships aren't just living, breathing things on their own. Right. I think the best kind of organization is where people are in it intrinsically motivated and it benefits the ship. And so that's where I really spend a lot of my time. So I spend a lot of time writing on self-betterment and thinking about self-betterment and what's it look like. So Go Nimbly is a flatter organization. I don't believe in management structures. I don't believe people need to be managed. So I spend a lot of time working on those kind of paradigms And hopefully one day we'll be able to help more organizations make the uh, very brave choice to let go of uh, hierarchy and let go of assumed power and make more space for individuals. Awesome. Which is a very high fluting way of saying that I like to think about the anatomy of a business and how people fit into it. Right. You have a book coming out, Transform. When does that come out? I have no clue. I, I used to say it on a podcast and it just is still a work in progress. So right now what we're doing is writing all, uh, we are now revising it to put in the skills of a revenue operator. So it's it's going to be a field guide for someone doing the job, regardless if their boss says they're a part of revenue operations or not. How does an individual get a revenue operations broad mindset? How do you transform yourself so that you can make the case that your business should transform? Um, and so that's really what we're working on uh, right now. And if folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about Go Nimbly, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I would say that uh, our content writer, who is a woman named by Christy Park, she's a very brilliant content writer in the space of revenue operations and self-betterment. Our blog is very, very informational and very fun to read. Um, so she's not just a typical content writer. You know, She's written novels and stuff in the past, so has a little bit of a creative flair to it, and it's fun. Um, so you can read our blog there. And then also, I think if you really want to follow this kind of content, I'm putting it out on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation with you. My favorite thing to do is talk about people's businesses and talk about the struggles they're having. 
I think far too many people want to sell the idea of owning or operating a business as being easy when really it's the work that you should feel grateful for because it is the work of a lifetime to own a business and to give people a job and to weather things like Corona that we're in now and figuring out how to survive that. But it's also very rewarding and I think it's good, honest work. And so I love talking to people about that journey and helping them along the way. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.